Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. My name is Travis Wyckoff, and I'm the host. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business, where I partner with the leaders to help them be their very best. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you about the tribe. The tribe is a twice a month group that I lead with coaches of all sports at both the high school and college level, where we discuss topics that will help you be better at your craft as well as be a better you. If you are interested in learning more, there's a link to my tribe landing page in the show notes, or you can shoot me an email at travis at kingdomcoachingtw.com. Now on to this week's episode with Billy Allen. Billy is a professional beach volleyball player and coach. He is also an author. He wrote an outstanding book titled The Internight, Train and Compete Like a Champion. I highly recommend this book. Billy uses stories about a night to teach principles that you can help train your athletes to compete at a high level. During part one, Billy and I break down several chapters of this book. So without further ado, my conversation with Billy Allen. Billy, thanks for joining us. Um, Super excited to visit with you and learn more about uh, you, your career, and then really dive into your book. Uh, Why don't you walk us through your journey from high school to present day? Okay. Uh, Thanks, Travis, for having me. Um, So yeah, I came from a volleyball family. Uh, my parents both played. So growing up, it was, it was my sport. Um, and I really appreciate it. And I see the value and I try to encourage the athletes I coach to, to do multiple things. But for me, it was all volleyball. Um, and I didn't get burned out somehow. Um, so I played in my first tournament when I was 10 and my parents actually around the high school age started a club for me because, uh, me and a friend of mine, because there wasn't a boys volleyball club where we were in San Diego in our area. And so I really uh, a lot to them to get me like started on the game and to you know give me a lot of opportunities. So um, again, at that age, I think at the beginning of high school, I went to a girls high school camp and it was me and 50 girls. <laughs> so, um, but I loved the sport so much that I, I stuck with it. And um, yeah, I was pretty good in high school. I was a setter and I went off to play in college at Cal State Northridge. And then at Cal State Northridge, I was never like the starting guy. Uh, I was never an all American. I kind of would move around as a utility guy filling in where they needed me in different positions. And it was really hard. And I always fought for that spot. And I like, even my senior year, I was like, I mean, I, I played a decent amount, but I was never an all American. And even though, um, you know, I, I, I was in that position, I still put as much as I could into it and, you know, whatever, lack of success I had in college, I think actually really prepared me for what came after because, um, I played professional beach volleyball and I jumped into that right after college and you don't see success right away. There is definitely like, there's the top guys and it's really hard for everybody else playing in the qualifier tour, traveling the country, spending a lot of money. You're on your own. You don't have a coach unless you pay for it. Um, there's nobody telling you how to buy flights or how to you know set up practices it's very, uh, an independent sport. And I think if I didn't learn how to persevere through a lot of struggles, um, you know, I would have stopped right away. Um, because there were, when I started playing on the AVP, there were a lot of players at a college, my age that were a lot better than me and who were all Americans and played, you know, some professional ball overseas indoor. And I think it's such a grind that when you don't find that success right away, I think a lot of them just dropped out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I kind of just, you know, played longer than everybody else and stuck with it. Um, 
and from there, you know, it just got better every year. And that was kind of my path. It was never like, uh, you know, a, f- a flash of success, success right away. Um, it just kind of a slow climb. And then on the flip side of that to pay for playing volleyball, I always coached. So my senior year, I coached a club team. And then every year after that, that was kind of like the off season gig to, to pay for my, for my own playing. And I've coached, um, yeah, club throughout. I coached at Santa Monica college for a men's team with, with John Mayer, who I know you've had on your podcast. Mm-hmm. And then I've coached, uh, coach sand the last few years. Um, so yeah, it's always been a, a duality of playing and coaching and kind of dipping my, you know, dipping into both of those worlds. And then I would say maybe like six or seven years ago, um, my friend, John Mayer, who played on the AVP and I competed with and against, um, we were good buddies and we started a, a volleyball coaching podcast called coach your brains out and same kind of thing. And we just started small cause we had interest and a passion for it. And we had some conversations in his garage over an iPhone recording us. Um, and we, uh, luckily through our own playing, we had a big connection of, you know, of volleyball coaches. Um, so our network was pretty good in that domain and just kept reaching out and people were, I'm sure you've seen it gracious enough to come on and, you know, share what they've learned. And then, yeah, slowly that, that took off too. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm, I'm still competing professionally. I'm coaching and doing some podcasts and writing some coaching books. So love it. it's kind of all, I started off with all volleyball in high school and now I'm still all volleyball. So yeah, love it. Okay. So you're, uh, at Northridge. What was the, what was the driver? What was the thought process behind? I know instead of going to get quote unquote, a real job, I'm going to go on the AVP and play beach volleyball for a living. What? Yeah. Just passion. What was it? What was the driver? Yeah, I would say just volleyball was my identity. So I didn't really know different. Um, I, you know, I was a volleyball player growing up and so I wanted to keep playing volleyball. I didn't, you know, the idea of like totally shifting gears to, um, an office job just sounded kind of foreign to me. And so I wanted to play as long as I could. And I was fine kind of being poor as far as working odd jobs in order to, you know, chase the dream of playing. Um, I don't think I ever saw myself as like a pro beach volleyball player. I kind of just wanted to play in those tournaments and compete and try to qualify. And then slowly over time, it's kind of like, whoa, actually I'm winning a little bit more. And now I'm sitting in the player tent, you know, with Karch Karai and Kerry Walsh and all these top players. And I don't know, you never really have that sense of like, oh, I made it. There's always like, once you start qualifying, you're like, oh, now how do I get ninths or how do I get in the finals? And so there's always like another um, level you're trying to attain. So you never really feel like you've made it even, even now after winning a couple tournaments and making a career out of it, there's always like something you're chasing. Yeah. Um, so club coaching, how does, how does club coaching and playing, how do those intersect? How have those helped? What's the overlap with those two? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've, I have to do a lot of practices myself and sometimes it gets daunting. And, but when you work with, you know, a kid who's just starting or a kid who's still so fired up and passionate, um, you know, it's definitely inspiring. And then I think when you have to articulate a skill for a player, uh, it definitely helps you understand it better yourself. And, um, yeah, and I think just looking at the game, there's so many ways, like, you know, scouting, looking at the game, um, from the opponent's standpoint to like our own, Hey, what are our weaknesses? What are our strengths? Um, what kind of drills can we craft in a practice to, to get better at those? You know, I use the same thing, 
um, how I evaluate that for coaching is my own playing. And on the beach, there's a lot of autonomy. Like most of my practices aren't with a coach. And so as the, it's definitely player led. And so you can kind of go down and not think and just play a lot, or you can be like, Hey, how do I approach this as a player coach and say, Hey, what are our weaknesses? What do we want to spend our time doing and getting better at? And so I think just being really mindful of, um, the organizational side and the practice planning side, uh, you know, works for both. Yeah. So you're, you're in Idaho now moved from California to Idaho. How, where do you practice? What's that look like up there? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Um, there's not a lot of beach volleyball players in Idaho. Everybody's in kind of Hermosa beach, Los Angeles. Um, yeah, we made the move kind of during the, the pandemic and quarantine. It was just the right move for our family. Um, last year I made it work just staying in shape and showing up, but there were only three tournaments. Now it's going to be a little tougher since there's more of a full season. Um, I will fly down to train in California with the, with my new partner so we can get some time together. But other than that, it's just, you know, I'm going to the gym. It's just starting. It's, uh, almost April. So it's just starting to get warm enough where I can go outside and, and play a little bit and have my wife serve me balls and just get creative and find ways to get touches. Yeah. Love it. Okay, uh, I want to ask you for I want to dive into John Mayer a little bit, who I've gotten to know and think the world of. Just think he's really sharp and humble, and yeah, um, he's had great success at Loyola Marymount in a short time. I mean, I I know they're they're rolling again this year, and I think they finished in the top, maybe they finished third or fourth last year in the in the nation. What is it about John that makes him so successful? John is like exemplifies learning to me better than anybody I've ever seen. He is not afraid to change his ways and do complete one eighties on things, which, you know, goes to everything, whether it's, you know, he learned something about food. So his diet completely changes or like something he really, you know, believed in and was really good at coaching wise, you know, teaching and keys and fundamentals. He like learns something new that he thinks will improve his chances and he'll, he's not afraid to just scrap it and start over. And that's really hard and intimidating as a coach to be like, this is how I coached for all these years. Um, you know, if something comes along, usually there's some resistance to that, mm-hmm. but he's just, you know, volleyball is his life and coaching is his life. So I think he's the coach that, you know, all night is reading books and he's learning stuff new and he's not afraid to implement it and make some changes. And I think that's what makes him great. He, um, so we were, he's actually a year younger than me and we competed a lot and we like would work out in the same gym. We were really good friends. And as soon as he retired from the AVP, I snatched him up right away as my coach. And I was like, all right, John, you're coaching us, um, outside of LMU. So, uh, as much as I can be around him and learn from him, uh, I think I have a big advantage. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Let's dive into your book, the inner night. Um, awesome book. I loved it. I read it in three sittings. Um, what I loved about it was I, I love the fact that you are teaching and, and coaching people through story. So I get sucked into the story. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm, you know, learning about the principles that you, that you, you know, tried to drive home. Um, as I'm reading it, I'm reading it in, in, in my, what I'm doing, I'm working with coaches. When I read it, I'm thinking this is, this is a must read for coaches who did you act like when you started writing? Cause you're still playing. Yeah. Who was the first, when you, when you thought of writing this book for coaches, for, for athletes, for both, what was your mindset starting in this? Yeah, that, that was the target demographic. It's weird. I've written a couple of books and they're kind of like, Oh, they're for everybody, but this was really specific. It's like, I mean, if I was going to pinpoint it, it'd be kind of college age athletes as like a team summer read, you know, the length kind of being short and digestible, um, you know, throwing in 
um, some sugar with the medicine as far as just making it a fun story. That was kind of the, the idea, but yeah, I think coaches and athletes together, um, the two main characters in the book, it's a coach and athlete relationship. And so I think there's a lot to learn on both sides of that. Um, yeah. And it was, I'm glad you liked it. It was, uh, I feel like a little bit of a risk because it's hard to explain because it is a fiction book, but it, yeah, it's a parable for coaches and athletes and just kind of balancing the lessons I wanted to get across with also making an engaging story, um, was tough, but yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Um, you've got 10 minutes with a coach and he asked you, I want the biggest, I want the key principle to the book. What Mm -hmm. is the one thing that you would tell a coach? You don't have time to flesh a couple out. You literally have time. What is the one thing that you would talk about in regards to this book and the principles that you talked about? Yeah. So I would say the reason I started the book was the the concept of the training and the trusting mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, from there we branched out and we shared lessons, um, on the mental game and how to practice. But the big lesson I would say is that a lot of times and myself included, I spent so much of my career, um, training skills and every, every practice was really focused on how do I get a little better at passing and this technique where that that's great. And that helps you get better, but you also need to spend time in what we call the the trusting mindset where the the mindset you're actually going to use in competition. And that's where you're not really just focused on your, you know, your footwork, but you're just trying to compete and win and playing free and loose. And a part of practice should be spent in that mindset as well. Cause it's really hard for me to, to be focused on my, you know, my platform and passing. And then all of a sudden I show up to this huge pressure environment in a AVP final and have to just like, not worry about that stuff and just try to win. And so, um, yeah, it's, it was a, it was a big breakthrough for me when we heard it on our podcast, when Bernie holiday was explaining it mm-hmm. and we're like, Oh, that, that, that's awesome. We, we, we corporated right away into our practices. And then it's just a message we wanted to get out that, yeah, it's good to spend time training and bringing skills in, but you also need to spend time letting skills out and trusting. So, uh, coaches listening to this podcast, training and trusting. I think you, you, you summarize it pretty well. Um, how, how, how quick a loop is that? Is that like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to train for this practice. And then on Monday, we're going to, we're going to train on Tuesday. We're going to, we're going to trust, or is it a quicker loop where we're going to spend the 15, first 15 minutes training, and then we're going to trust, we're going to compete. And then, yeah. What, what, what would be your advice in that? Yeah. How way we do it. It's usually in the same practice where maybe the, we do a two hour practice, the first hour, the first 45 minutes maybe is working on technique. And we're really trying to develop new skills and fine tune stuff. And then there needs to be a flip that is switched where we tell the athlete like, Hey, okay, now we're going to go in compete mode. We still want to incorporate some of this stuff, but you need to be, have the mindset where you're really focused maybe a little more externally than on the process and just, you know, trust yourself and let these skills out and win. And we, it, it's a tough, um, overlap, right? Cause in practice, maybe you take a water break and then you jump right into this whole other mindset. Um, so it's, we found it's really successful for the coach to like, you know, help facilitate, Hey, we're switching to the trusting mindset now. And if you see a player that's, still worried about their form and they're kind of judging themselves and critiquing that stuff. You got to remind them like, Oh no, now we're, you know, how maybe you can say, remind them, Hey, we're in the trusting mindset. Now we're competing. Or you can be like, how focused were you on like getting a kill there versus, you know, what your feet were doing or something that was in that first part of practice. Yeah. You did a great job of painting a picture in the book with uh, Meridian and how there was like a line that she would 
she, once she was behind the line, she would kind of go through some mental prep and, and probably be thinking a little bit more in the training. And then she's like, all right, now I've got to trust. I thought you did a great job of painting the picture of what it could look like to, to bounce back and forth from training to trusting. Yeah. And that, that idea. So we, I kind of crafted everything in the book. It's about a, uh, a night training for a jousting tournament. So I had to kind of like make everything relevant to that. So she would draw a line in the ground and this side was her trusting ground. This side was her thinking ground. Yeah. And just to kind of s- separate that, I think it's important for athletes to have some sort of trigger, mm-hmm. um, whether it's, you know, a certain way you breathe. I know volleyball, some people go back and touch the end line. That's like their own signal. Um, baseball, it's a, there's a clear batter's box. And so it's easy that if you start to get distracted, you just step out and that's like your time to freeze and kind of like, you know, recenter yourself. We actually first heard it from, um, there's a golfer that explained it and she has that, she kind of has her mental box that she gets in. And when she's, after she's done with her practice swings, she's locked in and she's hundred percent focused on, you know, trusting and just hitting her shot. And if she starts to feel judgment creep in and kind of like, um, yeah, get in that way, then she'll step out and, you know, make it just a clean distinction between the thinking ground and the trusting ground. And so, yeah, I think it's really important as a player. If I find like the thoughts start to pollute, you know, that trusting it's yeah, take a second, raise your hand, stop the ref, whatever your sport allows to kind of take a moment and make sure you really separate the two. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do an example real quick before I do. How how familiar are you with baseball? Uh, I mean, I've seen uh, some Kevin Costner movies. Okay, so you're you're <laughs> you're up to speed. Okay, so um, training mindset. We'll just talk hitting. Training mindset. He's thinking about keeping his hands back. He's thinking about you know his stride. He's thinking about his follow through having some of those little cues as coaches there like hey that that hey that was good right there did you feel that blah 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 give me internally how you go from that mindset to trusting maybe maybe talk a little bit about maybe some cues or mu- what that might sound like internally okay i'll i'll try with baseball so yeah let's say the coach's feedback for that first part of practice is on um, you know his stance you know where his placement is how far back, he gets his elbow, all that stuff. Yeah. But then when it comes to the trusting mindset, it's like one thing, maybe it's like, see the pitcher. Uh, maybe it's focused on like that read, or maybe it's, you know, swing free or swing smooth or something, something like that. A little more external, not so much like on your own body and what you're doing, but more of like the result, and, you yeah. know, or, or even like be aggressive. It could be something as, as simple as that, where that's, that's the mindset. That's the attitude. It could be a holistic focus where it's like, yeah, be aggressive or be smooth. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that that's what I would suggest. It's lo- so it's really, you're just centering your, you're, you're getting out of yourself kind of in, in trying to, trying to narrow your thoughts as simple as possible that aren't having to do with, to your point, your back elbow. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. By the time you're there, like, I don't, I mean, you want to make adjustments, but I think they should be strategic adjustments in a game. It shouldn't be like all of a sudden you're trying this whole new technique that you haven't practiced. You need to, and that's why it's so important to, to practice the, this trusting mindset. Cause if you're in a big, you know, the ninth bottom of the ninth inning or whatever, and you're up to bat, you don't want to be like worried and playing like concerned about, am I doing stuff right? You want to just be like trusting yourself and like scoring for your team. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to run down some things that just really jumped out at me. And I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on that. And I'm going to dovetail off the, I think this dovetails off the trusting in, in uh, training mindset, but in chapter six, you, you 
you wrote, um, I think it was, is it Gawain? Is that how you pronounce the coach's yeah, name? Yeah, I say Gawain. Yeah. Gawain. Okay. So Gawain says to, to Meridian, you're practicing to practice, not to compete. Explain mm-hmm. that. I love that. Jet jumped out big time. Yeah, we see this a lot with, uh, if you go to a gym, like I coach, you know, some club volleyball. So there's some juniors and there's some newer coaches and you see a lot of practice that doesn't resemble the game at all. And it's like, you know, girls sitting on their knees, bumping against the wall, um, just doing stuff that's very, that's the, the context is taken out of it mm-hmm. and you feel like you're getting better and you're working hard, but you know, this, you know, with motor learning, like, does this really translate to what the reality of the game is like? And um, so that, that could be one part of it is just the motor learning part. Like, Hey, is this representative of the actual game? Um, and then on the other stuff, like, yeah, like you want to be in the same mindset, the same context that the game is going to be like, and if you're only like practicing, you get better at what you t- spend your time doing. So you're going to get better at bumping against the wall. You're not going to get better at, you know, playing volleyball or, you know, whatever, whatever sport you're going to play. And so Meridian had done a lot of stuff and, you know, by nature in the story, she's on her own. She's not even allowed to be jousting. So she's doing a lot of things that she feels like is practice and getting her better, but it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just practice. It's not getting her ready for a competition. It might get her better at doing this little drill, but it won't help her improve when it comes to tournament time. So you've got a, a volleyball player who wants to uh, the services they're struggling. You're you're struggling with your serve. Give me maybe flesh out. Is there a and I might be misunderstanding this. Is there a time to hit ten straight serves and just I, I can't remember. John Mayer talked about I can't remember what that's called. Where you're blocking or yeah, or, yeah block block yeah. reps. Yeah. yeah, where you just is there a place for that? And if so, the duration before you start competing, maybe mm-hmm. walk, walk me through your coaching. There's a, uh, a young person that's struggling with their serve. What would you do? Yeah. So I would, the idea is you want to simplify it for them because you don't want them to be drowning, but you don't want to remove all context of the game. So, you know, maybe it's too much to throw them you know, jump serving on, you know, from the end line on a super high net, um, if they can't do it, right. Cause they're not going to succeed and they're gonna get frustrated and stuff. But at the same point, you don't want to go to the other extreme, have them standing two feet from the net on a box, you know, hitting the ball over it. Right. Yeah. So you want to, you want to have the same context where they're doing the same movement, but you can just simplify and make it easier. So I would maybe have them scoot a little bit in, maybe have a lighter ball. There's a lot of things you can do to adjust the environment um, so that it replicates the exact same thing they'd be doing in a game. It's just a little easier. So to change that would be like, let's say they're throwing the ball over the net. This would be practicing to practice where they're just like throwing a ball over the net. Um, mm-hmm. They're having success, but this doesn't look like what it looks like in a game. To make it more game-like, they would actually still be serving, but maybe it's a lighter ball. Again, maybe the net's lower. Whatever adjustments you need to make to simplify it, it doesn't take away the actual movement pattern that you'd be using in the game. Yeah, it's good. Um, and this this probably ties into that. Practice is not about looking good, but improving and challenging yourself. What, share a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is how you learn. This is how you grow. Um, there's so many times when like, this is where the head gets in the way where you want to like prove yourself to a coach or to a teammate when I play on the beach, like I'm trying to like earn a partner. 
And a lot of times you just want to like, Hey, do people know how good I look here or do they, I want to like, make sure they know, like I'm, I'm good, but like, no, you, you know, I think you want to be improving, not proving how good you are. And so like, for instance, for me right now, I've been living in Idaho for the winter and in about a week, I'm going to go to California and train with a new partner. And my first thoughts are like, Oh shoot, I'm going to look so bad. And I want to give myself excuses. Like, Hey, I'll make sure I tell them like, Hey guys, this is my first day out. I haven't played a while, but like, no, like I want to go out there and, and get better. And so I could avoid some of those, avoid going to train because I don't want to look bad, but like, Hey, that week of training is going to make me better. And so if my focus is on improving, I'm going to look bad or, you know, take those risks. Um, cause that's, you know, that's the ultimate goal is to be getting better. And so I think, yeah, in training, in practice, if I'm so worried about this comes with the coach player relationship with like the trusting your coach that I can afford to make mistakes and look bad in front of them. If I have that relationship where it's encouraged, then I'm not going to be as afraid to make some errors in practice because it's take, it takes, you know, making some errors, working on things you're not as good at yet, stretching yourself in order to get better. And that should be the ultimate goal is improving, not just like, you know, proving how good you are in a moment. Yeah. I think baseball can, can lean heavily towards the, the uh, practice to look good with BP and some ground balls mm. and throwing bullpens where they're very sterile, very stagnant, very, let's just, let's just feel good walking off of the practice field. And I, I can remember as a coach, there's part of me, like, no doubt. I just wanted to like feel good about where we're at after practice. And yet if, if you, if you, if you, change the framework of that. It's like, well, okay, you feel good, but it's very momentary because you guys didn't get challenged. So anyways, I think it can, I think it's a, a, a dish that coaches can fall into. Yeah. I mean, it's, I had the volleyball has the same thing. So we do hitting lines, which is we spike before we play. And a lot of times you want a really tight set so you can bounce the ball and look good and feel really yep. good. Like you got it good. Um, I remember we were in uh, Hamburg, Germany, a couple of years ago for the world championships. And it's like the biggest stage um, that I've ever played in. And we were, we, there's a practice court you warm up on and my partner and I were playing and it was not going well. Like John was serving us tough and he was spiking balls at us. And sometimes you want the reps where maybe it's like batting practice where you're just cranking it out of the park. Yeah. And it wasn't, we were struggling, we were shanking balls and we we're, we we're like Stafford. My partner was pretty frustrated going, you know, into play the match, like, you know, 20 minutes later. And just the thing, we actually played great in the match. And I think I should have addressed it before, or maybe John should have being our coach. Um, but afterwards we had the discussion, like, you don't need to like look good to have a good game. And like, I would take being challenged and pushed in that practice. Um, and go, you know, because that prepares you more than like yeah. feeling good. And I mean, it's just, it just it has to be a conversation where, you know, is it real confidence or is it junk food confidence? And is it, like, yeah, I, I know that even if I had some bad swings, um, you know, I'm, I, I, I trained against like a tough pitch or whatever. And so yeah. like, that's going to prepare me more than just like knocking it out of the park against some underhand you know, or T-ball or something. Totally. Yeah. And when, as you're sharing that, it, it, I, I, I'm thinking about your earlier statement on, yes, you don't want people drowning, but I just think if you could, if you would do that every, every game. And then, you know, pre-game or, or whatever, and then pre-match, every practice, how how that would compound interest, you know, mm -hmm. compound growth where you look up and it's like a year later, every time you've been on the court, whether it be practice or a game, you've been challenged. And I just got to imagine that the, the amount of compound growth is going to just stack on and it's going to it's going to really improve you. 
Yeah, I think as a coach and as a player, I'm always trying to avoid autopilot where you're just you're just getting reps, kind of going through the motions. We're not challenged because mm-hmm. that's where, you know, you're you're getting touches, which we think are really good. But if you're not being challenged, there's no growth there. And so, yeah, if you compounded all those warm up pitches versus pitches where they were stretched just a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, over time, for sure, that would improve. And then all of a sudden, you know, depending on your sport, your warm up isn't just getting you warm. It's also like getting you better. Be on the lookout next week for part two of my conversation with Billy Allen.